Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Howard Blend, and welcome to Howard's Blend. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Howard's Blend, a plant-based protein with 20, that's right, 20 grams of protein per serving to help aid in recovery from a strenuous workout, a tough day at work, or an even tougher day with your significant other. The powder is now available on my website. That is right. It is now available. It's for sale. www.howardsblend.com That's H-O-W-A-R-D-S B-L-E-N-D dot com. It is for sale. Now, the only flavor available is chocolate at the moment, but we are looking to expand the number of flavors and expand the product line as we scale. So, if you're not using a protein powder, but you're thinking of using a protein powder, or you're using a protein powder, but it's whey protein or egg protein, whatever, and you're thinking about using a vegan protein powder, or you're using a vegan protein powder, but it's not Howard's Blend, how dare you? But you're looking at using another brand. Okay, all right, forgiven. Head on over to the website now, www.howardsblend.com, just like the podcast, and grab you some. We currently have a 30-gram sample size packet and the big dog, the 15-serving one-pound bag for sale. Thank you very much. In this episode of Howard's Blend, we'll just go back to Howard's plant-based protein powder. We'll use that as an example. And let's say this Mr. Williams, the guy who thankfully recovered from cancer, let's say he continues to use my product and he gains 10 pounds of muscle in two months while using the product. I mean, not just 10 pounds of weight, 10 pounds of muscle in two months. Excellent. Cool. I can't use his anecdotal claim, his personal research, or his personal results. I can't use his results as a substitute for valid, legit data research studies to substantiate a claim. Well, Oakley Oakley folks, welcome, welcome to the Batcave Studio. It is Sunday... May 23rd, I had a look at the phone, Sunday, May 23rd, it's in the afternoon, it's a cool day here in Frisco, Texas, just outside of Dallas, Texas. So what are we going to talk about today? What's on tap? We're going to be going over the extraordinary, tremendous topic of dietary supplement advertising. Yes, you heard me right, dietary supplement advertising. So exciting. Get ready for a thrill, a thrill ride, an enthralling episode. So why am I talking about dietary supplement advertising on this podcast? Well, to sound like a broken record, I have a supplement company. Okay, enough of that. More importantly, you all, you guys and gals out there that are either thinking of using supplement or supplements or you already use supplement or supplements. 
I feel it's important that you all know just the, the general guidelines that the federal government, because we're going over the agencies that, uh, or I guess the agency that oversees dietary supplement advertising. There's another agency and another part of it we'll cover it in another episode, but kind of their guidelines on dietary supplement advertising, just so you're a more well-informed consumer and possibly know like what not to buy. Like, okay, this advertisement seems like a scam. I'm not going to buy it uh, because of some of the stuff that we go over today. And then other guidelines that are not involved in this episode, but that are easily accessible uh, from the FTC's website. I just gave it away. The FTC, Federal Trade Commission. So basically, kind of give you guys and gals more information so you can make better buying decisions. Now, another reason for this episode is this will act as another correction episode. You all out there who are listening to the show on a regular basis, first of all, thank you very much. I'm forever grateful. But I had a correction episode called What Causes Muscle Fatigue? That was a correction from the incorrect information I gave in the first episode of the Beta Alanine two-part series. So when I find information that's incorrect, then I make the effort to correct it either on social media or with this, with this episode, coming on and making an episode of the podcast. If you all find an error that I make, you point it out to me, and I will gladly come on either social media or make another episode if it's significant enough to make an episode correcting the error. Because I'm all about trying to get the correct information, not just getting it out there as quickly as possible and then hope to kind of get it by y'all. I want you all to check me when I get stuff wrong because I check myself, but if I miss it, I want you all to check me. So this is a correction episode from, it was August of two, no, not August, October. I think it was October of 2020. I had an episode or I released an episode titled My Thoughts on the Supplement Business. About two thirds of the way through the episode, there was about a 15 second clip that I took out the audio. It's, I just replaced it with with the white noise. It was like <laughs> for about 15 seconds. I put a note in the description of the episode that what I said was incorrect and that I would correct the record. So essentially before I, I'm, I'm going to forget if I, if I wait till later to, uh, to mention what I said. What I said was that supplement companies can use customer testimonials as a way to get around federal government regulations. When I recorded the episode, I didn't really think anything about it. I just said it, eh, whatever. When I edited it, or when I was editing the episode, I thought to myself, you know what, Howard, I don't know all the ins and outs of it regarding customer testimonials, how the federal government looks at that. Let me look. Let me make sure. Did just a basic cursory check on the Oracle, aka Google, and found that what I said was incorrect. There actually is guidelines that need to be followed or that should be followed regarding customer testimonials. I didn't know all the nitty gritty details until I did the investigation for this episode, but I knew enough to say, okay, what I got there was wrong. Let me take it out. And this will provide an opportunity to put in the description that I'll be correcting the record later. So that's why we're here. 
So almost done with this, folks. Almost done with the intro. Just to kind of give you an under under the hood look, since I'm all about transparency. I just did an Instagram live on transparency yesterday. This is probably like the sixth or seventh time I've tried to record this episode. My close friends know that, uh, yeah, it's been a struggle just to to record this episode, and it's a struggle to record most episodes. I am the closet podcaster. I'm a husband, father, got a day job. The the kid who's right here at my feet, little Sammy, he's sleeping, so praying, praying to the podcast gods that he stays asleep long enough for me to finish this. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to juggle work, family, trying to grow this supplement business, podcasting, all that together. So it gets it gets real stressful sometimes. I'll save that for another time, but just just let you know that originally the plan was to make one long episode. So the way this episode was originally structured was we're going to start with dietary supplement advertising, which I'll go ahead and let you know because you're going to hear it in a minute. That's under the purview of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Then the second part of the episode, we were going to go over labeling, like what's actually printed on the supplement itself. That falls under the purview of the Federal, excuse me, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. So when I had all these problems trying to record this episode, man, I, I thought to myself early this week, I was like, you know what? I, the information I have, I could really split it into two episodes and it would be just fine. So that's why this episode, we're going to focus on advertising. The next episode, we're going to go over labels. So that will lead me into my disclaimer, the legal disclaimer. Do not take the information in this episode as a substitute for doing your own thorough research via the FDA, the FTC, better yet, consulting with a professional. Right. The resources for the show, which are all going to be in the description, is directly from the FTC and then for the labeling, the FDA. So I'm getting it straight from the horse's mouth. But this is the federal government we're talking about here. If you listen to the sales tax episode, it's just mind-boggling how confusing that could be. And that's a state-level thing. This is federal government where it's exponentially more confusing. If I was to go over all the pieces of information, this episode would be hours and hours and hours long. So I've done my best to read through some of the resources, again, which will be in the description of the show, but I did my best to try to pull out pertinent information, not giving you all information overload, trying to get the the hot topics to summarize as best as possible. So again, this is not a substitute talking with a lawyer, talking with a consultant, doing your own research to make sure that you're you know, following these guidelines because this is the federal government. They have unlimited resources to come after you if, if something is wrong. Yeah. Just give me a head. Not trying to scare anybody who has a supplement company or is thinking about starting a supplement company. But that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, they have guidelines for a reason. So it's a headache. I'll tell you that much. All right, so all that out of the way, Supervisor Sammy, do we have permission to proceed? Permission to engage. He's sucking his thumb, so I'm assuming that means go ahead and go for it, but he's fast asleep, so we're good, we're good. Let's let's just kick this off, get this done as soon as possible. 
hopefully, with me rambling, probably not, but we'll get it done as soon as possible and then we'll call it a day. By the way, I have notes here just for this episode. I have three pages of notes. For the one on labeling, I have like another three pages. So yeah, lots of lots of notes. Yep, let's just get right to it. So the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, they have a lot of responsibilities, but with regards to dietary supplements, they look over or they regulate, you could say, dietary supplement advertising. So by advertising, that is a commercial on TV, a commercial on the radio, an infomercial. Infomercials and supplements are huge. I didn't see it in the documentation, but I assume that these same regulations would cover advertisements on social media. So Instagram ads, Facebook ads, YouTube ads, I'm assuming these same things would apply. Okay, I thought I hit the XLR cable. So with regards to the FTC, kind of the overall principle that they would, they want supplement companies, advertisers, etc. to follow is to not violate the truth in advertising law. Now I've read it's truth in advertising law. I've read it's truth in advertising act and I've read it's truth in advertising laws. I don't know which one's correct. I'm just going to say truth in advertising law. So what's the, what encompasses the truth in advertising law? It's three parts. I just held up four fingers, three parts that you tell the truth that it's, it's truthful. Okay. Well that that makes sense. Truth in advertising law, the advertisement needs to be truthful. No really reason to explain further on that. That it's not misleading, which we're going to go into here on this episode, and that the claims that are made, so any claims on safetiness, any claims on efficacy of the product, like health, medical claims, that those claims be substantiated. What does substantiated mean? Basically means that the data is, or the claim is backed up by valid data, aka like research data, legit research data. What's legit? Well, I mean, I'm only assuming it's, you know, like research, like university research that is done. It's done several times to see if the same results repeat in case some factor of change that skewed the results. It's peer reviewed. I, I remember it was after I did the notes for this episode, I actually read an FDA website where they give like, it's not definitive criteria, but they give some criteria of what's considered like a legit research. Uh, if I find it, I'll put it in the notes in the show, but I didn't include it in the notes because as I said, I already had the notes for this episode, but just based on what I've read before, what I've heard, I assume it would be something like, you know, university research that is peer reviewed you know, it's done multiple times, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I just said, you know, that's what's considered a legit research. And we're going to talk about the, what is not considered legit research here in a little bit. So those three criteria are basically what the FTC is looking for when reviewing advertising, dietary supplement advertising to see if they're violating this truth in advertising law. So we'll take SMB Nutrition, my company. Let's say I want to make an ad for YouTube. What can I do 
to evaluate the advertisement to see if I'm violating this law or I'm complying with this law. Well, there are three things I can do. This is according to the FTC. One, evaluate or look over the entire claim. I guess it could be evaluate the entire advertisement to check for explicit claims. What's explicit claims? What does that mean? Definitive. That is, it's a definitive statement, display, sound or whatever, whatever the advertisement involves. An example, if you listen to the ad at the beginning of this uh, episode for Howard's Blend Plant-Based Protein, I said 20 grams of protein per serving. That's definitive, all right? Here's another example. One second, I have to grab the bag. All you people watching the video will see this. I'll explain it to the podcast peeps. I'm holding up the big dog, the one pound bag of Howard's Blend plant-based protein, and I'm pointing to the claim on the bag that says 20 grams of protein per serving. Now this, since it's on the bag itself, this would fall under the purview of the FDA, which is next episode, but it's just an example. That's what's called a nutrient content claim. We're going to go over that in the next episode. My point is, that's an explicit claim. It's definitive. One second. Had to set, had to set the bag down. All right, so review the claim for any, I mean, excuse me, review the ad for any explicit claims. Number two, review the ad for any implicit claims. What's an implicit claim? It's something that's not directly said, displayed, whatever. It is like a, um, I could say imply, but that's almost the same thing. Almost the same thing as what I just said, the word I just said. So it's like given the impression in this case that the supplement does something that is not in the ad. So I've tried to use this episode, you know, the other five times that I've tried to record this episode, so I'll say it now. It's kind of a dark, depressing uh, idea, but I think it gets the point across just in case anybody out there doesn't understand. So I have this ad that I just said I'm making an ad for YouTube, and let's just say I show Mr. Johnson in whatever city USA. And unfortunately, Mr. Johnson develops cancer. It doesn't matter what kind of cancer. So he gets cancer. He goes to the hospital. He, the doctors put him on chemotherapy. They put him on other drugs to help, to give the best chance for him to defeat the cancer. So uh, because of the chemotherapy, because of the drugs, he has no appetite. You know, the smell of food, even eating food makes him nauseous, vomits, whatever. So he starts using Howard's Blend plant-based protein. That doesn't seem to bother him. It's a good way for him to get in nutrients to try to keep as much weight on as the chemotherapy and stuff does its job and then to try to get rid of the cancer. So he contacts me that he's using the product. Okay, cool, whatever. I decide to make an ad. This is the ad that I'm making. So it's a montage of pictures and videos of his stay in the hospital as he's drinking it you know, him holding up the bag, you know, whatever. And then at the very end, there's really no 
There's no voiceover, nothing like that. There's just like uplifting music in the background. And at the end, he's released from the hospital. Assumably, he is in remission. The cancer's in remission. And he can go on and live his life, which is good. Well, I don't know to who, but the way the FTC could look at that is that a consumer out there could possibly see that and think, oh, Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder is what helped Mr. Johnson, he was named Mr. Johnson, cure his cancer. Even though that wasn't my intention, I had no intention of implying that the protein powder helps with cancer, it's possible that people could get that impression that the cancer, I mean, excuse me, that the protein powder cures cancer or treats cancer, right? So they, they could possibly, the FTC could come down on me for that because you're implying, even though I had no intention to, that I'm implying that it actually treats that disease, in this case, cancer. So that's an, that's an example, Jesus. that's an example of an implied claim. Substantiation, well, that's the third part. Forgot to preface that. The third part of you know evaluating whether my advertisement complies with this truth in advertising law is substantiation. Going back to what I just said in that example. If I would have said that Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder help to cure Mr. Johnson's cancer then I better have the legit data to back that up, the research to back that up. If I don't, I can be in big trouble. So that's substantiation. Those are like the three things I could do or any supplement company could do, advertising agency, et cetera, can do to look at their advertisement beforehand, kind of see, okay, does this comply with FTC guidelines? So now we're going to focus, like I said before, Pardon. <clears throat> Pardon me, I got a frog, a frog in my throat. Pardon me. So what I said at the beginning, the truth in advertising law, well, it's got to be truthful. Okay, we're not even going to focus on that anymore because that's self-explanatory. Are the claims misleading? Well, the one with the, the cancer treatment, that could be deemed a misleading claim or a misleading ad. Again, even though my intention wasn't to make it misleading at all, I just wanted to make an uplifting advertisement. It's possible it still could be deemed misleading. What's another example of a misleading claim? Well, a advertisement could be deemed misleading or deceptive if it fails to provide the information or any information that would help a consumer to make a buying purchase. That's kind of how I sum it up. So there are examples that are provided in the FTC documentation. I've changed it a little bit to include my products, so I'm not directly plagiarizing. So what's an example of that? I mean, an advertisement could be deemed misleading or deceptive if I fail to provide information in which the customer could use to make their decision? Yes. So let's say SMB Nutrition has a new product, Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend. And I just made that up. Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend. Now, in the advertisement that I have for this new, new product, we got a new product in the product line, Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend. I say that there's a vitamin, we'll just say vitamin G. You know, there's a vitamin G, there's vitamin G in this product. 
you know, taking this supplement will eliminate fatigue, fatigue, I can't even pronounce the word right, fatigue caused by a deficiency in vitamin G. Okay? Well, I have legit data to back that up. Cool. However, the data that I have to back up the claim that vitamin G eliminates fatigue caused by a deficiency in vitamin G, well, the deficiency is only in like 2% of the general population. So we take the United States because that's what the FTC has the purview over. It's like, what, 300 million people? So if I do the math right, that's like 6 million people suffer from, supposedly suffer from this deficiency in vitamin G, which causes fatigue. Well, that would help the consumer in their buying decision because a lot more people than 6 million people suffer from fatigue. I got, I get fatigue all the time. Pointing down at my feet to this little human sleeping causes extreme fatigue. I got fatigue. What? Just because you have fatigue doesn't mean that you have this vitamin deficiency. You know, this, this, just for examples, folks, this is not, as far as I know, this is not true. I mean, there's no vitamin G, but as far as I know, they're, they're just using this as an example. So don't, don't be thinking that this is what it is. Just an example. Somebody could, my point is somebody could be watching YouTube and they see the ad. Oh, if you have extreme fatigue, it could be caused by a deficiency in vitamin G. Well, Howard's vitamin mineral blend eliminates vitamin G deficiency or eliminates fatigue caused by the vitamin G deficiency. Get your vitamin G with Howard's vitamin mineral blend. You know, something to that effect. Well, people, I mean, the, YouTube has a boatload of people watching it. People would think, well, I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm tired. All the time. Let me go buy Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend. But they don't know that only 2%, 2 out of 100 people are going to have this vitamin deficiency that causes the fatigue. What the people don't really look at is, well, I'm only sleeping four hours a day. I take a boatload of caffeine to keep me awake and I eat like crap. And, you know, I've got you know, three jobs or something like that. You know, they don't look at all those other factors that are actually causing their fatigue. You know, I stay up too late watching YouTube, watching these advertisements, watching these dumb SMB nutrition ads. They don't look at that. So if you put on there, the, the idea being is that if you have in the ad that, well, only 2% of the population actually suffer from this vitamin deficiency, which causes the fatigue, then it provides more information to the customer to say, okay, now you have more information to make a more informed buying decision. Actually, I think I'm done with this page. Yeah, so this page, first page. Don't want to wake up Sammy. I think I'm done with it. Yeah, so that's kind of the, the point with that is that that information can help the consumer make a better informed or more well-informed. I guess that you could say that more well-informed decision. I think I'm just going to say a better buying decision or a better informed. I don't know. I'm not a grammar expert. I don't know. So what I, what I just said there, so, uh, the example, you know, only 2% of the general population suffer from this vitamin deficiency, which causes the fatigue. The FTC, that's, uh, this is, that is an example from their website. Again, I just kind of changed it to include SMB nutrition products. 
that is an example of what type of qualifying data or disclaimer that needs to be in the ad in, in this particular case. It needs to be clear and prominent. This helps avoid misleading claims. So I'm focusing on this section of it, of the podcast episode, misleading claims. Clear. Well, first of all, clear and prominent could be similar because what I get from prominent is that it's easy to read. I mean, it's not at point zero 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 two font, you know, where you have to take like an electron microscope to be able to read the disclaimer on an ad. It's clear for people to see, going back to the first example, clear, but clear is the idea behind that is to reduce or preferably eliminate ambiguity. There's no vague language. So an example of something that probably would not fly with the FTC with the same ad is you know, Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend has vitamin G, which eliminates fatigue caused by vitamin G deficiency. And then I say in the disclaimer, well, only a small number of people have this vitamin deficiency. Well, how much small? If I ask three people, three different people, the United States has 300 million people. How many do you think is small? One person may say 100. One person may say a million. Another person may say 10 million. You can't quantify that. It's not definitive, going back to the explicit. It's not definitive. So you have to put in there clear 2% of the population. So vague claims, very few, a small number not definitive definitive enough. It needs to be clear and prominent. All right, so another uh, part on misleading claims. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I wanted to mention this. I almost forgot. Well, what's the diff- There's a difference, though, between the first example with Mr. Johnson. I keep forgetting. I think it was Mr. Johnson that had the cancer, and I did, my intention was to do the uplifting ad with him in the hospital drinking Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder, that's an example of a claim where I had no intention of trying to mislead the public, but it could still be deemed a violation. The second one, well, I have the research data. I assume I would have read the research data before making the ad, so assuming I did, I'm purposely intending to mislead the public. You know, kind of the lie of omission. I'm omitting that data, even though two out of a hundred people that buy it, they're only going to really get the benefit of the claim that I have in the ad. So I just wanted to bring that up. Let's see, are we done with miss? I want to make sure I'm done with the misleading. Yeah, I'm pretty much done with misleading. We will come back to misleading at the end of the episode, when we're going to cover the correction portion of this episode, or correction from October of 2020, when we talk about expert endorsements and customer testimonials, we're going to go on to the substantiation. I want to make sure I get this right. So an example, we already know what a substantiated claim is, but I found this interesting on the FTC's website. So a common a common issue with substantiation is that supplement company, advertiser, they have the data, the legit data to back up a claim. 
or I guess it's better said, they have legit data. You know, they have university research results. They may have several university research results. It's peer reviewed, done several times. The results are still the same. Boom, they have the data. But that data doesn't back up the claim that they make in the ad. So this is kind of substantiated claims and misleading as well. You know, it's kind of combining those two together. So an example, again, this is from the FTC's website, but I'm changing it to not directly plagiarize. So Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend, we're going to use that example again. Let's say it has vitamin Z. We'll just say probably better to use vitamin Z with the fatigue, like Z when you're sleeping, whatever. Vitamin Z. And then the claim in the advertisement is vitamin Z reduces cholesterol. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the valid, legit research that I have, though, says foods with vitamin Z reduce cholesterol. So those are two different things. My claim in the advertisement is saying vitamin Z reduces the cholesterol. The research data shows foods with vitamin Z reduce cholesterol. So the research data doesn't indicate that it's just vitamin Z that's reducing the cholesterol. It could be vitamin Z in combination with vitamins A and C and E. I don't know. Maybe they're working in some synergistic effect that lowers the cholesterol. So I have the legit data, or I have legit data, and I shouldn't say the legit. I have legit data, but it's proving something that I'm not claiming the product does. Right, So that's a common issue according to what I read here on the FTC's website that supplement companies and advertisers face. All right, one more thing or point, and then we're going to go on to the uh, customer testimonials, and that'll be the final part of the episode. So anecdotal evidence. What's anecdotal? Anecdotal is evidence, or you say, quote, evidence that's not backed It's not factual or backed by facts or research. I'll just say research because it could be factual to the person making the anecdotal claim. It's basically like someone's experience. So let's say we have, you know, Howard's, we'll just go back to Howard's plant-based protein powder. We'll use that as an example. And let's say this Mr. Williams, the guy who thankfully recovered from cancer, Let's say he continues to use my product and he gains 10 pounds of muscle in two months while using the product. I mean, not just 10 pounds of weight, 10 pounds of muscle in two months. Excellent. Cool. I can't use his anecdotal claim, his personal research or his personal results. I can't use his results as a substitute for valid, legit data research studies to substantiate a claim. So I can't make a commercial saying, use Howard's Blend protein, plant-based protein powder and gain up to 20, did I say 20 or 10 or whatever, and gain up to 10 pounds of muscle in two months. And then when the FTC says, okay, where's your data to back that up? I said, well, here's Mr. Williams. He had cancer. He's recovering from cancer. He gained 10 pounds of muscle in two months using my product. That does not fly. Anecdotal, Claims, data, 
it doesn't substitute for, or it can't be a substitute for legit research data. So one more thing. This is important. Reading this on the FTC's website. With regards to dietary supplement advertising, everybody in the know of an an advertisement, I guess there's probably a better way to say it, but I couldn't think of any, needs to be aware of these rules. Again, these are just some of the rules, just a handful. So why? The FTC can come after everybody. So let's just say SMB Nutrition, we have a claim that is completely false or very misleading, no substantiated, no data to sub. Pardon me while I learned to talk. No data to substantiate the claims, let's say. Well, SMB Nutrition can be held liable. If I have an advertising agency, that could be held liable. Even if a retailer is like a, like a vitamin store or whatever, if they are promoting the falsified ads, the FTC could even come after them. Now, what are the possibilities? I don't know what the possibilities that they would go that far down the chain. My point is, is that if you own a company, you're thinking about owning a company, everybody involved in the advertising needs to be aware of these laws because the FTC can come after everybody. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, the FTC is federal government. They have unlimited resources from our taxpayer money to come after anybody. You know, they could drive a company bankrupt in no, no time, taking them to court and stuff, so. Just be kept abreast of laws you're not sure. Talk with a professional. Okay, so now on to the final part of the episode, and this is where the correction comes in. So we're going to go into customer testimonials and expert endorsements. This I'm going to read because I try to remember it, but it's very hard to remember the wording that the FTC uses. So I'm going to read it directly from here. This is print off from the, my notes, but I actually typed this out word for word uh, from the FTC's website. So with customer testimonials and expert endorsements, an overall principle for the FTC is that advertisers should not make claims either through consumer or expert endorsements that would be deceptive or could not be substantiated if made directly. Read it again. Maybe, hopefully this time I actually don't make a mistake. An overall principle I'm adding in of the FTC is that advertisers should not make claims either through consumer or expert endorsements that would be deceptive or could not be substantiated if made directly. So what does that mean? Well, let's just say that Mr. Williams gets out of the hospital. He's recovered from his cancers in remission. He writes me a letter. He says, Howard, I guess he could write me a letter. Hit me up on Instagram at Howard's Blend. Hit me up, especially all you ladies out there. Hit me up at, wait, at Howard's. I just said that. So he sends me a DM. Let's say that direct message, DM. He sends me a direct message and says, Howard. Thank you so much for making Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder. I believe it was responsible for curing my cancer or putting it in remission. 
He says something like that. Then I decide, that's a great advertisement. Mr. Williams, hey, can you make a one-minute video, whatever, of quickly of your story and how uh, Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder cured your cancer, something like that. And he makes that ad, and then I endorse it by making it into a longer ad, putting his testimony into a longer ad. Well, if I, without Mr. Williams' endorsement, if I just came on and said, take Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder, it's proven, you know, or there's an example that is known or whatever. It doesn't really matter the language, you know, it's proven to cure cancer. You know, or take Howard's Wind plant-based protein powder. It's a treatment for cancer, whatever cancer he had. I can't make that claim. I don't have the, the data to back that up. Protein powder doesn't cure cancer. I can't make that claim. So I shouldn't endorse by putting someone's testimonial in an, an ad of mine claiming that it cured their cancer, even if it's Mr. Williams' honest belief that he's like, I really believe, honestly believe, not lying, that Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder cured his cancer. If I can't make that claim directly, I shouldn't be having any customers in an ad making that claim either. That's what I, basically that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, this page, done. Last page, folks. All right, so when we get to consumer testimonials, let me let me review this just to make sure I got my information correct. Yeah, so if a customer is making a testimonial about the efficacy, so the efficacy is like the ability of a, I guess in this case, a supplement to produce the desired result. So if you're taking a fat burner, what is the... Uh, the effectiveness, for lack of a better term, of that fat burner actually producing the result. That means burned fat. That's like the efficacy. Safety, medical or health claims. So any customer talking about the efficacy of a product, I guess you could say effectiveness of the product, the safety of a product, medical or health claims, that should be representative of what the buying consumer would likely experience. What does that mean? I don't understand that. Let me think of a way I, I can explain it that would make sense. So we'll take uh, Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder again. I should say that. Now, again, this is my interpretation of the data. Uh, so this is kind of like a combination of reading stuff from the FDA, which I'm not sure if I have the resources for. I may have to check for that again. And the FTC. So let's say my target market, the people that, the demographic that buys Howard's Blend plant-based protein powder the most are men 35 to 45. Let's say in that age range. All right. I make an ad with Mr. Williams. Again, I gained 10 pounds of muscle in two months. And let's say Mr. Williams is 45, like my age, 45 years old. So it's still in that demographic. All right. But the data that I have, the, the valid, legit data that I have to back up the claim says that, well, plant-based protein powder 
for that age range, age range, 35 to 45, people can average one to two pounds of muscle, muscle gain in two months in the same amount of time. So the data doesn't back up the consumer claim that was made, the consumer testimonial that was made. Thinking of a way I could say it that would actually make sense, make sense in my head, not when I'm actually re- recording it now to explain it. So maybe that means I don't really I don't know what it means. One second as I look this over here. Okay, I'm back. I apologize there. I had a huge brain fart, so I just went ahead and stopped the video, cut it out because I was I looked over this ahead of time, and then now my mind just went blank of the examples I wanted to, you know, how to explain it. So go over this again. So if a consumer has makes a, if, if I had, boy, geez, Louise peeps, I'm fatigued. I need to take some vitamin G. If I have a consumer testimonial in an advertisement, all right, and the consumer their testimonial speaks to the efficacy of a product, the safety of a product, health, medical claims. Those need to be representative of the consumers that are going to use the product. So let's say that, um, I think now I understand it better. So, or I should say, I remember it. Mr. Williams, 45 years old, gained 10 pounds of muscle in two months. Well, let's say that the research that I have, it only sh- the legit research or research I found, or I actually, if I actually had research conducted on my product, Howard's Blend Plant-Based Protein Powder, shows that men in his age age group only put on about two pounds of muscle in two months. I think I had the example right the first time. I don't know why I didn't think it was correct. That's Mr. Williams' result is not representative of the people who are going to consume the product, right? So what, what do we do in this case then? Can I not use Mr. Williams' testimonial? Well, I can use it because it's his, it's his story. He put on 10 pounds of muscle in two months. But there needs to be a clear, impromptu disclaimer, qualifying language to notify the public that something the effect of research studies show that men 35 to 45 only put on an average of about one to two pounds of muscle using protein powder along with intense exercise and diet or something. I don't know if that's exactly correct, but something like that, that's a very clear statement showing, okay, well, more than likely I'm only going to put on one to two pounds of muscle. The odds are you are not going to be like Mr. Williams and putting on 10 pounds of muscle in two months. Even man, 10 pounds of muscle in two months, that's a lot. I mean, you'd have to be taking like a lot of gear to do that from, I have no experience of taking steroids, not endorsing it. But yeah, unless you have like Superman genetics or something like that, it's a lot of muscle in a little bit of time. So that's what I meant. I apologize again. I can't. I was trying to think of like two examples and I really only needed one to kind of get the point across and I confused myself. So I had to take a minute there to kind of regather my thoughts. So yeah, so it goes right back to what I talked about the with the example of the fatigue and only 2% of the general population. If you're going to use a consumer testimonial, their results needs to be representative of what the consumers will see. I mean, means 
more than likely the people are going to get similar results. That's how I read it. If it's extreme results, you know, gaining 10 pounds of muscle in two months, there needs to be a clear and prominent language disclaimer to better inform the buying public that, hey, more than this is an extreme case, more than likely you're only going to see this result. Vague language, just like with the example of the extreme fatigue with the vitamin Z, uh, no, vitamin G deficiency, vague language like results will vary. Some people have different results or something like that. More than likely insufficient to satisfy the FTC's guidelines. Clear and prominent. So the last part, expert endorsements. I guess, well, let me go ahead and do it now before I forget. So the point of that is, in the episode on my thoughts on the supplement business, at the end I said that supplement companies can use testimonials to get around federal government guidelines. Well, can they? Sure. You can do anything. I can go on, I can have on my plant-based protein powder that it cures cancer. Is that violating the law? Yes. So you can do it, but is it allowed? No. So I can have a customer say whatever they want in the testimonial, but I can still be violating laws and regulations, and then I can get in trouble for it. So that was my point. I shouldn't have said that they use it to get around the guidelines. There's still guidelines to be followed. Expert endorsements. So expert endorsements, I remember... Is it so? You have dietary supplements, then you have what is it? Acne creams and stuff, which I suffer from acne. So, I guess maybe the YouTube algorithm knows me because they get a lot of acne commercials. Whatever. You have a doctor. I am dermatologist Mister Jones or Doctor Jones, first name Indiana. You know, I endorse fully endorse this product. You know, Acne RX or Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend, something like that. And that's an expert endorsement. So with an expert endorsement, they should have legit and valid qualifications in the area related to the endorsement that they practice in. I I don't know if that came out right. So let's say Howard's Vitamin Mineral Blend. And um, there's another vitamin in there, vitamin Q, that supposedly helps with, or did I say about the cholesterol earlier? Was it vitamin Z? Yeah, the vitamin Z. We'll stick with that. Yeah, I remember now. I remember the example I just gave not too long ago. Vitamin Z, I was saying in the in the claim, lowers cholesterol. We'll just forget that it the research shows that vitamin foods with vitamin Z lower the cholesterol. We'll just say vitamin Z lowers cholesterol. So I have a cardiologist do an expert endorsement. So that makes sense. He's giving endorsement on vitamin Z being in the product reduces cholesterol because high cholesterol could be bad for your heart. Makes sense, cardiologist. I wouldn't want to have a psychologist come on and do an expert endorsement on a product that lowers cholesterol for the heart. That's not their area of expertise. So it's somebody who has valid, again, the word legit qualifications in the area whatever medical or psychological, if it's like a depression supplement or something like that, in the area of expertise that they're doing the claim, the expert endorsement for. So valid credential would be like, they are a board certified cardiologist, whatever, by whatever organization. 
the American Medical Association or something like that. Now, another stipulation for expert endorsements is they would have to do, what was it? I don't remember. What was it? Yeah, that was it. They would have to to conduct experimentation, testing on the product in a way that would be recognized by their peers. So it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, the substantiation. If you're going to have an expert doing an endorsement, they should actually be doing testing on the product in a manner that would be recognized by their peers, like legit data, maybe even peer-reviewed testing before they do the testimonial, the expert endorsement, I should say. So it's really those two. So to be legit, again, doesn't mean that supplement companies have to follow it. They should have valid credentials in the field that they're going to be doing that's related to the endorsement or the product they're going to be endorsing. And then number two, they would actually have to be do, doing or have done, Jesus Christ, or have done testing, etc., valid, recognized by their industry testing on the product before they actually do the endorsement. Does that mean supplement companies, all the supplement companies and advertisers do it? Probably not. I don't know. I'm just assuming probably not. The idea behind that is to, you know, the idea behind these um, regulations for expert endorsements is so I don't look in, I was about to say look in the yellow pages, but who has the yellow pages? Look online and look up Dr. Jones, first name Indiana and say, oh yeah, let me call him. Hey, if I pay you a thousand bucks, will you do a two minute endorsement for me? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's to try to reduce ambiguity. And I guess in this case, to try to prevent fraud. Because if it turns out that the product actually hurts people, then Dr. Jones could lose his license and get in big trouble, bigger trouble than that. That's it. That's it, folks. Last page. Landed on Sammy. All right, still asleep. That is it. That's all she wrote for supplement advertising. Man, this was supposed to be, look at this. I've gone almost an hour on this. This was originally going to be just half the information in the episodes. You're talking a two-hour episode, and I just summarize. I have a smidgen. I'm holding my fingers like a quarter of an inch apart. That's just a smidgen of the information for regulation by the FDA and the FTC. Well, in this case, the FTC, but if it was in total, the FDA and the FTC. Amazing. It's just, it's just so much information. It's just it, your brain explodes. But that's it. So, if you found value in this episode, if you enjoy the content of the show, this episode, other episodes, all I ask is you tell at least one friend or enemy. More of you can do it, I would appreciate more, but at least one. Spread the knowledge of the show, spread the love, help yours truly. Where you can find the show. You can find it on my website, www.howardsblend.com, H-O-W-A-R-D-S-B-L-E-N-D.com, just like the podcast. Find the show there, as well as the SMB Nutrition t-shirts and Howard's Blend. And soon, pardon me, I thought I was going to cough again. Soon, I will say it now, soon, 
some more t-shirts related to the podcast in case you want to support the podcast. Howardsblend.com. You can also find it. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. So almost, almost there, real close to saying anywhere you find podcasts or listen to podcasts, I'm right there. You can't get rid of me. Just like a bad STD, I always come back. All right. Questions, concerns, cheers, jeers, comments. I think I just said questions. My contact information as well as where you can find me on social media is in the description of the show. I'm pointing down for those people watching the video. Not to my underwear, pointing down to the comments. Yes, I'm in my underwear right now. That's it. I can't think of anything else to say. That's a blessing on to you guys because I know you're probably asleep or banging your head against the wall listening to me trying to form my words and learn how to speak English. So until next time, Supervisor Sammy, are we ready to disengage? He's still asleep, so I take that as a yes. Aye, aye, Captain Sammy. That's it for today. Thanks again for tuning in or watching. Until next time, I'm going to go make some advertisements for Howard's Blim plant-based protein powder. Adios.